Welcome, viewers and listeners, to the Thinking Fans Premier League Podcast. Each week, we get together with our besties, who are current pro players, real coaches, academics, and stat heads. Today, we're joined by soccer analyst Harshal Patel and professional footballer Dre Fortune. I'm host Chris Mumford. Bella Ciao. We're sponsored by the Premier League Guide, a fabulous gift for those mad about football, money ball for soccer, opposition analysis plus eye candy. The current update is available at www.thinkingfanmedia.com and on Amazon. We've got some special news. The podcast is getting its own channel, Thinking Fan Football Club, in both video and audio form. The same staff will continue to spin our yarns and interweaved analytics. Please subscribe to Thinking Fan Football Club as we fully transition over in the beginning of February. We'll be doing a unique show this week in that uh, the FA Cup uh, was going on. We're going to talk about some overall trends, uh, among some other things. First of all, we've got parity in the Premier League. Only seven points separate first and tenth place. We're going to talk through the contenders and pretenders, along with some of the surprises and disappointments. We'll also talk through the weekend previews, including Leicester Southampton, as well as Liverpool Man United. So, We'll go ahead and start at the top of the table, uh, which is Liverpool. And Dre and Harshel, what I'm going to ask y'all is, what are some storylines that maybe aren't getting the attention uh, on each of these teams? And let's not touch on the stuff that's been pretty well um, reported already. Harshel, what are some unique things that you see with Liverpool? Just that, um, obviously one of the biggest sort of issues that Liverpool have had this season is with is injuries to their defence, where almost all of their first-choice defenders, I think Barr and Andrew Robertson, have been injured at some point or the other. So it's been... Uh, they've, they've really had to make do with what they have. They've had to play midfielders out of position. You know, we saw Jordan Henderson play at centre-back in the last game against Southampton, for example. So that, it, that sort of has been a struggle for them. But I mean... It's not been a struggle where you would think it has been. I mean, it, it's not been a struggle defensively. They've only conceded eight goals in the 12 games they've played since Virgil van Dijk got injured um, in the Merseyside derby. So it's not as if they're struggling defensively, that they're letting in goals and all of that. It's, the fact is that the defensive issues, or rather the, the injuries to their defenders are actually causing problems further forward uh, and further up the pitch. And this is something we touched on last week as well, because it's as simple as something like, uh, uh, Jordan Henderson, when he plays at centre-back, he'll probably need to take an extra touch or maybe a second or uh, a couple of seconds more to play a pass out to, to say, Alexander Arnold on the right flank or Robertson on the left or one of the attackers because he's not sure of their positioning because he's not played at centre-back. So, but at, at top-level football, at, at the level of the Premier League, that extra second is the difference between, say, Robertson receiving the ball in space and you know being able to drive forward with it and the opposition having one player or maybe even two players back. So he then can't go forward and has to pass the ball back. So that slows down the speed of the attack. So it's very fine margins. And um, I'm, I'm not saying that this has uh, this is not something that they can't improve. But this is definitely, if you, if you look at Liverpool, they've not looked as tidy or as uh, efficient as they have in the last couple of seasons. And a large part of that is down to the fact that they don't have their first choice defense, who are usually the first sort of playmakers or the first guys in terms of building their attack out. And I think as long as this continues, that they don't have, uh, you know, their their first choice defenders playing, that this will be a problem. And this is how, you know, and this is, I mean, not how, this is why Liverpool are so close to the other teams at the top. And they haven't sort of been able to go away with it. So, Dre, what, what's, what, what are some observations you've had on Liverpool? Oh, well, first, I'd like to just touch on what Harshad said there about, um, you know, for example, if Henderson's playing as a center back, as a midfielder, you're so accustomed to having an influence on the game going forward in terms of, you know, breaking lines with your passes and whatnot. And when your role is simplified and reduced like that, it's a lot, it's difficult sometimes to be able to fit into that role that you're being asked to play. As a center back, it's usually you know, two and three touches, keep the ball moving. So when you bring a midfielder who's used to, you know, breaking lines and then creating through his passing uh, further back, it, it, it can affect his game and, and obviously the team around him. But yeah, I mean, I think Liverpool's not looked as, as potent as we've 
been accustomed to seeing them. I think they've struggled a bit to create those clear-cut chances that they're usually creating going forward. And um, I think it shows not only, you know, in their in – their, I think they've, they haven't won their last three games or something like that. And in addition to that, their lead at the top of the table is not very – it's not very secure. I mean, they've got Manu level on points with them with a game in hand. They've got City, I think, four points back with two games in hand. So I think we can uh, – you can possibly see them start to slip a little bit unless they pick it back up. Right. You know, I, I think my general observations are, you know, Mane, Mane and Jota are in the top 20 in terms of successful attacking actions uh, per 90 minutes. Um, Salah has done well, but he hasn't, you know, he's had some games where he's done very well. You know, Minamino, has kind of disappeared a little bit. I think his stock has gone down and Origi just really hasn't featured much at all. Um, in fact, I'm, I wonder if he's going to be on, on the roster uh, going forward. Um, as, as far as defenders go, one interesting surprise is that Milner is actually uh, in ter- uh, on Liverpool the most with successful defensive actions per 90 minutes. Um, and he's in the top 20 in the in the league, even though he hasn't featured as much in terms of time. And I guess that's the role that Milner's playing in terms of locker room leadership. And when someone needs to go in for a hard shift, um, particularly defensively, Klopp can really count on him. I'm also struck by, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Robertson continuing to to show well in terms of uh, attacking stats uh, for defenders. Um, and I guess my final note is that the youngsters, I think the Curtis Jones ha- has stepped up, um, some of the younger, um, folks, um, in the back line who've been able to feature because of the injuries. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be a disaster, but clearly what Harshell's point is right is that it's not so much hitting them, def- hurting them defensively, but just incrementally on the offensive side. So it'll be interesting to kind of see where, ha- how Liverpool comes on. I personally think, they're going to right the ship uh, coming forward. I do think the the runs of other uh, teams are are maybe a little overplayed still, but I guess we'll find out on Sunday when Liverpool plays uh, Man United. Um, so with that in mind, why don't we have a word with Man United? Um, Dre, what what are your impressions with with Man United? What observations are are worth sharing? Well, they've they've one hundred percent been on a, a a decent run of form recently. Uh, aside from there. League Cup loss to Manchester City. Uh, they won what three in a row in the Premier League, I believe, or something like that. Two or three. Uh, yeah, so they've been they've been getting the results that that they've needed, and they've looked stronger and stronger as a unit. Uh, you know, creating chances going forward, very free flowing with with Bruno and, and Rashford and Martial and Greenwood, and I've, been, I've enjoyed watching them actually. So, I think you know, going out against Liverpool, if they can if they can get three points there, they're going to be in a really good position. Still having a game in hand against Liverpool. And um, you know, the, the, I'm surprised to say it, but the league is there is there to uh, to be had for them. So it'll be interesting to see how they continue. So Dre, I'm really struck by if you look at Man City and Liverpool, their patterns of play are pretty well established, right? While as yet Man United is a little bit less clearly defined, one would think. Do you think that? You know, we've had this debate before, but do you think that Man United are going to have to go to more specific um, patterns of play, or do you think kind of um, the more jazz form, that's how the philosophy is and they have the players in which to do that? Where do you sit on that? Um, it, it's seeming as though it's just kind of more of a free-flowing game and just allowing them to to figure it out. And I think... With that, I mean, as with anything, some days it's going to work better than others. Um, but when you have the individual quality that, that they have in terms of guys like Pogba and, and Bruno and Rashford, um, and then you can bring guys like Juan Mata off the bench, for example, uh, you're always going to have opportunities to win the game, I think. So, um, oh, you know, Cavani as well, he's he's proven himself over the years as a, as a potent striker in front of the goal. So I think... Um, for now, they probably just continue going as they're going. It's been working. And uh, as long as it does, I don't see any reason to change it. I got you. Well, interesting that the 
the uh, attacking players don't feature particularly high in the, in the Premier League um, in terms of successful attacking actions, but some of the defenders do. So Juan Basaka is is rated number two in terms of de- successful defensive actions per ninety, second only to uh, Serge Aurier uh, of Tottenham. Um, Harshal, what's your take on this, and and do you think some of their acquisitions have proved to be fruitful or not? Well, recruitment has definitely been much better over the last, I'd say, year or so. Um, ever since Ole got the job, basically, I think the, uh, the the players they brought in, you look at Harry Maguire, you look at Van Bissaka, Alex Telles came in this summer. Uh, obviously, the, the sort of catalytic player was Fernandez. He's absolutely changed the mood and, and the and the form of United since he came in about a year ago. But in general, I think even though they may have paid a little more than they would have liked to with regard to, say, Van Bissaka or, or Maguire last year, the, the recruitment uh, that United have done has been a lot better um, over the last year or so than it was in the previous two or three years. And uh, in terms of your earlier point about patterns of play, again, I've, I've said this earlier as well in that this season is the season, I think, for an unso- uh, uh, someone other than United, uh, sorry, other than City or Liverpool to win the title because it is so chaotic. So, just I mean, by extension, the fact that United don't have a sort of set, pat- don't have established patterns of play, isn't holding them back too much because they've still been able to. I mean, especially over the last couple of months or so. I mean, United haven't lost a game in the league since the first of November when they lost to Arsenal. And that's nearly to more than or almost two and a half months now. So during that time, they've still been able to put together moves through the sort of individual creativity of the attackers. You know, Fernandez, Rashford, Martial, Greenwood when he's played, Mata when he's played, Pogba when he's played. So that hasn't really hampered them too much. Uh, and again, if they can keep that attacking uh, sort of, uh, I'd say I wouldn't say efficiency, but the attacking. Uh, inspiration going and they can be a little little bit tighter at the back and cut out their errors which I think is still a bit of a problem individual mistakes at the back um, yeah as Dre said you know this could be the year when United could challenge properly I'm not saying they'll go on and win but they, United have failed to even challenge for the title since Sir Alex Ferguson left so was, is, was Calvani has he lived up to his billing in your opinion or not Oh, he was. I think he has because I mean, you've got to remember that he's 33 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, came in as a free agent, but he came in right at the end of the transfer window before, after he'd been let go from PSG. So he hadn't really trained for the entire period of time that he was a free agent. Uh, straight away after coming in, he had to obviously undergo a 14-day lockdown due to COVID restrictions. So that again set back his integration into the team. His his sort of the time it took him to get up to match fitness and all of that. So keeping all of that in mind, I think he's done really well. He's made a definite impact in the games he's played. We've seen that, especially in the game against Southampton, for example, in the league where he came on and scored two and turned the game from a loss to a win for United, even in other games. And I mean, he may not feature too highly in terms of statistics at the moment, but two reasons for that, I think. One is obviously that he's not played that much. He's not really started games that much. Obviously, there's a ban which he's had for three games also recently, which has ruled him out of a few of the last couple of games. And secondly, a lot of that the the, the stuff that he brings to United is intangible. I mean, you, there's no way to measure movement, for example. But I mean, I think you can talk to any striker, and they'll say that. Like, I mean, just look at Cavani's movement, and that's how that's the sort of you know ideal to live up to, or that's what you should be showing young kids because it's exceptional the way he's able to find space in the box the way he's able to pull away from markers, the way he's able to engage a defender and then pull away from him, which means that the defender doesn't have time to react. But Cavani's got the space to then take a touch and score, for example. So all of those intangibles and the fact that the likes of Rashford, Martial, Greenwood are probably learning by watching him on the training ground every day. That is the impact that he's had. It's very similar, I think, to the impact that Zlatan had when he came to United as a, uh, a couple of seasons ago, that sort of older, experienced head who's been there, done it all. Right. Well, let's turn our attention to to Leicester, uh, who are who are third in, in the table. Uh, and and I will say, uh, you know, Vardy is is clip front and center. Uh, what what kind of drives that? Uh, and 
I think uh, you have to respect that a team's got a point of focus and he's got 11 goals. Um, I do think that Harvey Barnes um, should be getting more credit um, than he deserves. Um, You know, he's a top uh, 15 in the league in terms of successful attacking actions. Um, As far as um, defenders go, um, Ndidi, even though he's had limited minutes, is still just amazing absolutely amazing in terms of successful defensive actions. But but the real nice surprise of the season in my mind for Lester has been Fofana, where he's just been able to, I think people knew about him, but I think he's really been able to step up uh, to a side that frankly needed it because of uh, the injuries to the back line. You know, I think most people had thought that Lester were going to have a very difficult season and and, you know, in some respects, like Liverpool, um, they, they, people have been able to step in and pick up the slack um, really well. Um, Dre, what, what are your thoughts about Leicester and, you know, what, what they've got going on ahead of them? Uh, well, I think they've established their, their playing style and they've implemented it quite well. And, I mean, they're in third place in the Premier League. And I think even though they've consistently shown that over the last few years, they're going to compete. Um, you know, for top six places and whatnot. Still, when you look at the top six, Leicester is the, the surprising team up there, at least for me, just based on, you know, the Premier League I've watched over the years. So, um, yeah, and, and, you know, they made it through this little tough holiday holiday period. They're still in third. And, you know, they have some some tough games coming up. They've got, you see, they've got Southampton, Chelsea, Everton, and Leeds, which will all be pretty tough tests for them, I believe. And, um Based on how they've played, I'm, I'm sure they can come out of there with, with two or three wins and still be comfortably in the top four. I think, like you said, Vardy's leading the line quite well, and he's got good support with, with Barnes and Madison, Tielemans. I really enjoy watching as well. And, uh, yeah, they, 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 they look a good outfit. I really like the trade-offs they're making, and, and clearly Vardy is being asked to do less and less, but, but continue to do it incredibly well. Harshal, what's your what? What are some interesting tidbits on Leicester that you see? I mean, obviously, as I agree with everything you guys said, you know, they've been. I think the word for them is efficient. They've won games where they've barely had maybe two or three chances, but they've put them away because obviously Vardy is in great form, and then Harvey Barnes is taking chances. He's he's scoring goals, and some of the other guys are also chipping in creatively as well wherever possible. Fofana has been an absolute revelation for me. He's he's 19. He's come into a new country, new culture, new language. Last season was probably, I think, his first season as a top level at at top level when he played at Nice. But he's been able to adapt extremely well. And I've spoken about this earlier on the episodes as well. That Rogers, Brendan Rogers, deserves a lot of credit for the way he's been able to reshape the backline. Even though they, you know, after all the injuries they've had, where I mean, you think Liverpool have had a bad injury crisis? I mean, look at Leicester. I think all of their first-choice defenders have been out for significant periods of time this season. And he's, he's, he's still been able to make it work. He's shifted his shape to move to a back three, and it's worked. And now he's moving it back to a back four and sort of playing a 4-3-3, and it's working as well. But, I mean, I will have sound a bit of caution in terms of their attacking play. If you look at the metrics, they are only seventh in the league for XG. I mean, that's not bad. That's it's Okay, that's an average performance, and they're overperforming their expected goals, obviously, because, again, Vardy is a very good finisher. But what is worrying for me is the fact that if you look at non-penalty XG, which basically removes penalties from the equation in terms of expected goals. And for those who don't know, uh, a penalty usually has an expected goal value of 0.75 or 0.76, depending on the data provider. But that's because historically, if you look at stats, three out of four penalties are scored. So that's the sort of value in terms of expected goals that are given to a penalty. And that's the highest, I think, value that any shot in the game gets. If you remove penalties, Leicester are 13th for XG, for non-penalty XG. And they've got, they've had, they've, uh, they've seen 10 penalties been awarded to them this season, which is by far the most in the league. So I'm not saying, I mean, people used to say that penalties were were sort of the, the reason why United got many points last season, which is true because United did get the most penalties in the league last season. It's Leicester this season. And I don't know if that's, uh, a sustainable way to keep going and, and whether, you know, they can continue to rely on getting penalties and scoring those sort of easier goals than an open play chance. So maybe 
something for Rogers to look at is a way to maybe try and improve the side's creativity and attacking threat going forward. As far as fourth on the table is Tottenham. Um, Dre, what are observations you've got on Hotspur? Yeah, so, I mean, throughout the season, I think there's been heavy reliance on Son and Kane up front to score goals for them. Um, obviously, it's worked so far, and Mourinho's definitely changed the outfit to be a lot more solid defensively and and uh, prevent them from leaking goals. I do, however, feel as though, and this is obviously my opinion, I feel as though they're starting to slip, and I think they're going to continue to slip a little bit. Um, just because, as we've spoken about in the previous weeks, when, when it comes to playing against teams where they're forced to have the ball, I think they they struggle massively. Um, so, you know, they're, they're going to come up against Villa, Sheffield United, and then they play Liverpool again. Uh, <laughs> it'll be interesting. I, I mean, obviously they have the individual quality to, to win any of those games, um, but it just comes down to, you know, how they set up on the day and, and, and how they go out and look to play. Um, so for me, I think, I think Spurs continues to slip down the table a little bit. But only time will tell. Arshel? Yeah, uh, I mean, if you want to look at it from a statistical point of view, Spurs are easily the team that's sort of most outperforming metrics in the league this season. They're outperforming the expect their expected goals and their expected goals against by the most of any other team in the league, which, I mean, there's two ways to look at it. One is obviously that that's a great thing. The fact that you're scoring more goals than you should be you're conceding lesser than you are than you should be. Obviously, your players are doing something right on the pitch. But if you look at these metrics over a period of time, even you know over the length of a season, they normally regress back to the mean. You know, outperformance, either direction, whether it's overperformance or underperformance, you do tend to regress back to the mean. If not in a season, definitely over maybe a couple of seasons or a slightly longer period of time. So, while this is good in terms of where they are in the table, the fact that they have been able to uh, sort of, you know, imp- they, they did struggle a little bit over the last few weeks where they dropped points, especially because Mourinho sort of went for the safer option of, you know, they've scored a goal, so they're, they're going to sit back and defend now. And opposition teams have been able to score later on and, and Tottenham have sort of been denied a win because of that in, in multiple games this season. He didn't actually do that against Leeds. They, they kept attacking, even though they took the lead and they ended up scoring three goals in the first half. So, Maybe that's the way to go for, uh, for for Spurs. I mean, I don't think Mourinho is an all-out attack coach. We know that. But maybe he should let go of the handbrake a little bit because at the moment, I feel that... And obviously, we've, they are so reliant on Harry Kane and Son Young-min that an injury to one of them, both of them, suspension, you know, absence due to COVID or something like that, if that happens, Spurs are really going to struggle, I think. So... It may be worth it for, for Mourinho to try and get his other attackers into form by getting them into goal-scoring positions, which would only happen if they attack a little bit more. Yeah, I, I just want to give a shout-out to uh, uh, Dombele. Um, you know, he, he is that adds a, a degree of creativity. Uh, he is in the top 20 in terms of successful attacking actions per 90 minutes. Uh, Kane and Son... It's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, they don't have the Jota to step in uh, after, you know, in the absence of that. I have been really amazed. I mean, uh, Mo knows how to do defense, right? That is very obvious. But I mentioned um, Serge Aurier is, is first in, in the Premier League in terms of successful defensive actions. And Reguilon is in the top 11. So it just uh, you have to you have to appreciate how uh, clear everybody's roles are uh, and that they do them very, very well. Uh, I do think they're there's they're probably one to two attacking players away from being able to really do well and in, in terms of contend. And I just wonder is will they be able to find will levy be able to find a good deal this january i think the answer is probably no um and i'd be fascinated to see what they do during the summer um, on that so um uh so we'll go ahead and leave um tottenham there let's turn our attention to to man city Harshell, how 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 is man city doing now 
and and kind of what are some surprises that you've seen? I'm glad you said now, Chris, because had you, I mean, had you asked me this two weeks ago, and you guys have heard me say this that City are struggling, they're not creating chances, blah blah blah, and the game against Chelsea was probably their best performance of the season. I'd say probably one of the best performances that they've put out in the last twelve months. It came out of the blue because we, I, there was nothing in the lead up to that game in terms of previous matches or whatever to suggest that City would be able to put together that sort of fluid attacking performance. But they did. I mean, they didn't repeat that exactly against United in the Carabao Cup semi, but they were again pretty good in that game as well. So I think, and I've mentioned this earlier, the fact that Pep's system or the way he wants to play requires width. You need width to be able to stretch the opposition defense, which creates space centrally. Because obviously, if the defense is stretched, you, there are pockets of space that open up centrally for the likes of uh, De Bruyne to then exploit. And in the game against uh, in the game against Chelsea, um, he played wingers on their natural side, which meant like which meant that uh, Raheem Sterling played on the right, uh, Phil Foden, left-footed player, played on the left. Zinchenko was the left back. Cancelo was the right back, so you had players playing on the natural sides, which meant that they were able to either overlap if the wingers came inside, or the wingers were staying out wide, which was usually the case that the wingers were the guys holding the width, and then the fullbacks would come inside. Cancelo, for example, I've been extremely impressed with Joao Cancelo. He had a very uh, tough debut season last year. I, I honestly thought that he this might not work out for him at at City, but he's he's probably been their most Consistent and their most dangerous player, especially creatively, I think after De Bruyne this season, and he's essentially playing as a central midfielder. He comes into central midfield and and plays infield as a third central midfielder with De Bruyne then pushing forward as a sort of number ten. So those sort of tactical tweaks that that Pep has been employing are now starting to come together. I think in the way that he played against Chelsea and United, and this probably is going to be the system that they use going forward. And just one last thing that you don't. I mean, you expect City to be leading the the league in terms of goals scored, chances created. They're not doing that. They're they're actually the best in the league in terms of their defensive output this season. They have the lowest goals conceded total or per game, and it's the same for expected goals against. So their defensive performance has actually been really good. They've they've improved on that over the last couple of seasons. Ruben Diaz has been a superb acquisition. I think he's he's. And we've seen the resurgence of John Stones. Who thought that John Stones would still be at City? And he he's pushed Laporte out of the team. It's Stones and Diaz who are the centre back, first choice centre backs for Pep right now. So um, yeah, those are that's basically been the story of the season. And let's see how it goes. So I'm really struck by the fact. Uh, so defensively, uh, I agree with all, all the points you've said. I'm struck that they've had the success they've had despite the fact that No Aguero. Jesus has been underperforming this season, and Raheem Sterling really hasn't really switched on. I know he's he's bringing the width, but you'd kind of expect him to be doing a little more offensively uh, in terms of assists or goals. But you know the the team is marching forward despite that, so that that's that's a good story. Dre, any any thoughts about Man City? Yeah, I mean it, it's been really positive. I I thought their performance against Chelsea was brilliant. Um, obviously, as we've discussed in the past, they lost attacking options. They lost David Silva, which is huge for them. They lost Sané. And um, it's looking as though they're finally truly adjusting to that and, and being able to play without those guys, uh, you know, in the way that they're accustomed to playing. And, I, I mean, their their chance creation in that game was, was phenomenal, the way they moved the ball. And, you know, in their schedule coming up, they don't have any – top six teams coming up. They've got Brighton, Palace, Villa, West Brom, Sheffield United. These are all games that you probably expect them to win and quite handily as well. So they're four points off the top with, with two games in hand. I expect them to be at the top of the Premier League very soon and probably hold that position uh, as long as they keep playing the way they are. Nice. I like that. Um, get get some parity at the very top there. Let's start turn our attention to Southampton. Um Harshal, what's what's your thought about Southampton's in sixth right now? Is that sustainable, or do we are we going to see some some regression to means? I definitely, I mean, it is sustainable, um, and I've been impressed by the fact that again they've also been a team who've suffered 
a little bit with injuries, but with them, it probably hits a little deeper than it does with other teams because they don't really have a lot of depth. Uh, we saw that in the game against Liverpool. You know, it was a bench full of. I mean, Hasanutil said as much after in the post-match where he said that I brought, basically brought the, the entire academy with me on the bench because I don't have players. Um, Yannick Westergaard, who's been absolutely brilliant for them at defensively and offensively. You know, he scored a, a few pretty big goals for them from set pieces. He's gotten injured, so they've had to bring in someone else to play at centre-back alongside Jan Bednarek. Danny Ings has not been fit for large parts of the season. He's picked up a couple of injuries, but despite all of that, they've still been able to sort of, you know, keep their place towards the top, the, the top end of the table. And uh, we've said this before, you know, Hasnutl has a very fixed style of play, a fixed system. So every player knows, like, in terms of what their role is going to be on the pitch if they're playing in a certain position. So, for example, if you've been picked to play as one of the attacking midfielders, you know what you need to do. If you need, if you've been picked as one of the central midfielders, doesn't matter if you've not played, you know, at all for the club before. But if you you're part of the first team group and you you've been brought in, you know what your role is going to be. So that's also why I think some of the younger players have been able to thrive because their roles are clear and they're being asked to do. Um, I mean, they they know what they need to do. It's not a case of them being told, hey, you know what, just go out there and have some fun. It's not that. It's it's there is instruction given to them in terms of when to press, when to pass, who to pass to, all of that stuff. So I think it is sustainable, uh, but it'll be interesting to see if they can cope with the absences. I mean, they have been able to do so thus far, but let's see if that if they can continue to do that. Yeah, I, I will tell you what I've been really struck by is to me the is is Walker Peters. I mean, I just really think that from a defensive and offensive perspective, he's really, I think, been one of the the real highlights of the season in the entire Premier League. And the back line, I just, I think as a unit, they perform so so well together. And we just, they have a bit of a Tottenham problem in that if Ing, when Ings goes down, uh, it's, it's pretty challenging. I will say it's nice to see a bit of a re- renaissance with Walcott. Uh, really coming back and, you know, let's hope that the Che Adams regains some of the form he had a little bit earlier uh, in the season. Dre, any take on Southampton? Uh, just quickly. Um, the Liverpool win was huge for them coming off. I think it was four games without a win or something like that. So that was definitely big. Uh, but I, I mean, I think it's important to note that there's only three points separating them from 10th. So, I mean, when we speak about, you know, sustainability and whatnot, I think it's going to come down to, the individual quality and you know they've still got teams behind them like Everton's been strong Villa Chelsea's there obviously um Arsenal who is picking up now a little bit and they're only I think six points behind them so uh you know they're, they're gonna have some some tough tests coming up in terms of trying to keep those spots they've got Leicester Leeds and Arsenal in the next three games and I think those will be huge for them in terms of you know where they'll fall towards the end of the season. Harshell what is your take on Everton? Are they are they coming to form? I mean, they've won four out of the last five matches. Everton are a little bit difficult to read in terms of being able to maybe predict where they're going to end up or even if they can put together a run of form because they've, they've had that sort of season which has been a little bit up and down where they started off really well, obviously, and then they dropped off and then they picked up a couple of wins and then again lost a few and all. Of, you know, it's been a bit up and down for them. So, I mean, in the even in the FA Cup, over the weekend, you know, it took them extra time to to beat a lower league op, uh, uh, opposition, even though Ancelotti had put out a pretty decent uh, team in terms of the the players who were on the pitch. So, with Everton, I think it's a case of them being reliant on a few key individuals, where especially down their left, you know, Luka Dini at left back and Richarlison at left wing is such a potent combination. Uh, Dini has made a sort of, I think. Miraculous is the only word I can say for the for the recovery he's made. He's he's back in six weeks from ankle surgery, and I think he uh, might have torn a couple of ligaments as well. But he's back in six weeks from that uh, injury, so it'll be good for them that they have that partnership back. James Rodriguez is back as well, although I think it'll it might take him a week or so to be back to full fitness. But if they have all of those guys on the pitch, you know the likes of Rodriguez, Dominic Calvert Lewin, Dinier, Richarlison. Seamus Coleman back at right back. Allen, if once he's fit and he's sort of playing at defensive midfield again, if they have their sort of first choice eleven on the field, they're, they're a match for anybody in the team. But I think uh, anybody in the league, I meant. But uh, 
some of the backup some of the guys who've been so uh, you know asked to play a role which they're not accustomed to with the likes of you know Iwobi having to play at wing back uh Ben Godfrey who's a center back having to play left back for example those sort of things have hurt them a little bit so i i expect that once if their first choice team their first choice sort of 11 12 13 players that sort of core group is able to play week in week, week out they should be able to challenge for you know top 4 maybe top 6 but if not i i think maybe you know they where they are seventh in the table maybe 7 to 10th is where they'll end up if the that doesn't come to pass you know i think consistency is going to be the hallmark obviously for the top 4 but even the europa positions and i still don't buy that from everton yet you know i worry a little bit about uh you know calvert lewin scored 11 goals for them and everybody else together is coming in at a little less than half that uh, around five or five or six goals so i just i wonder a little bit about w- where they're going to get their offensive performance when calvert lewin goes down um you know i it just seems the way the season's progressing that someone the way he, the style that the physicality that he plays he's going to have to get rested he may get injured So you know I I'm really hopeful that Everton um is able where where some of the other attacking players come into better form. Dre what's what's your take on Everton? Yeah, I think they're another team where the separation between them and the teams in the higher places is is the depth. I mean um obviously they've struggled with injuries and that's going to impact any team but having players step in that are going to keep the same level um is is important so i mean everton's always had question marks for me when you, when you beat liverpool city and arsenal and then lose to west ham uh you know people are going to be scratching their heads a little bit and wondering what's going on but now that they're getting back to full strength um i think i think i think they'll have a a, a solid challenge for top 6 maybe you know in those europa league places uh maybe not top 4 probably like 5 or 6 i think i think for everton so harshell the, the team that i wonder uh about is Aston Villa in their place. They're in 8th place now. They could contend for Europa. Do they belong at 8th place now or do you think that maybe they could be legitimate Europa contenders? I'd probably I'm completely honestly I think Aston Villa have a shot at Champions League this season, very honestly, because I've been very impressed with the way they've played the business they did this summer was brilliant because they they brought in players to fill sort of problem spots in in the squad who made the team better immediately and even if you look at the metrics they're doing well on a number of metrics they have uh they're one of the best sides in terms of xg they're letting they're letting up very few quality chances as well so the xg is great they're taking a lot of shots and they're taking those shots from good positions from sort of closer in the box and they're the best team from set pieces by far in the league and a large one of the biggest factors for that is the fact that Jack Grealish is the most fouled player in the league so that automatically means that they're winning a lot more free kicks than uh, other teams are and then they have the ability on the ball on the set piece itself with the likes of Grealish to take the free kick and the likes of uh, Tyrone Mings as Reconza uh, Courtney Hawes the, the center backs basically and even Oliver to win duels in the air and score goals from from set pieces so they and also i mean they they're pressing really aggressively they're one of the few teams this season whose ppda which is passes per defensive action their ppda numbers for this season are lower than that for last season and with ppda basically the lower the number the more aggressive you are pressed because it basically means the number of passes that you allow the opposition to make before you make a defensive action whether that's a tackle an interception a block or whatever so given that most teams have dropped off in terms of their pressing because of the the physical sort of uh, limitations that will come into play over the over this year given the the short turnaround we've had between seasons the the lack of a pre-season the number of matches that teams are being forced to play in a short period of time it's really impressive that villa are actually pressing more aggressively than they were last season and yeah just looking at them i think they're a much more cohesive unit than they were last uh, last time around they have more attack attacking firepower i'd say because i think they were more a lot more reliant on grealish last season 
Whereas this season, the the likes of Bertrand Traoré, Watkins up front, uh, Ross Barkley when he's back fit again, um, all these guys are contributing to the attack. Anwar El Ghazi is on a mad run of form. He's I think he scored more goals this season than in all his previous uh, Premier League seasons combined. So all of that put together, I think Villa definitely dark horses for Champions League, in my opinion. Well, that's that's uh, very interesting. You know, I I, I want to second your views. I I hope that Barkley um, uh, bounces back uh, in that he came out so strong, and I just thought he really added that extra dimension to Aston Villa. So I imagine he's going to be playing an important role if they do make that uh, push into into Champions League. I, I will say that. Um, Matty Cash has got two good things going for him. Number one, he's third in the Premier League in terms of uh, successful defensive actions for 90 minutes. And his name is second only in terms of cool sounding Matty Cash to our own Dre Fortune here. Uh, so um, so uh, uh, something to be said about cool names in, in football. Um, how about you, Dre? What, 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 any, any thoughts on Aston Villa? I'm going to disagree with Harshal in, in terms of Champions League, but not because of their performance just I mean I don't I don't see any team that they beat out uh I mean when you look you know Liverpool Man U Leicester I think City will have the last one I don't know what order but I think that'll be the four but uh yeah no I think it's been really impressive I've really enjoyed watching their front three um you know when they have their their first choice lineup they've shown that they're capable of, of competing with any team in the league which is always positive so I, I mean they, they've they've gone through a little bit of a rough patch in terms of their fixtures. I mean, they just played Chelsea, Man U, and Liverpool, and now they have Spurs, Everton, and City coming up, which are going to be three tough tests for them. And um, I think if they can come out of that strong, especially missing some of the players that they're missing, I think I think they'll be set for a good run towards the end of the season. So let's turn our attention to the number ninth team, which is Chelsea, um, probably the most sustained head-scratcher uh, of, of the season. Um, that's that's the title they've won. You know, in terms of individual performances, uh, believe it or not, Hudson Adoy is ranked third in the Premier League in terms of successful attacking actions, but he's only gotten 363 minutes. While as yet Pulisic comes in next uh, at um, with 742 minutes. So I'm just really impressed by the fact that uh, team players that have gotten the le- some of the least minutes have done well, and it could be just because the the uh, the teams that they're playing against, but uh, I, I'm really struck by, and there's been a lot talked about finding that right combination and, and Lampard probably still doesn't know what the right combination is. I think we can conclude that Chelsea has sorted out its def- defensive, its massive defensive problems uh, la- this year versus last year. Mindy, the roses come off uh, a bit off the bloom, but I still think he's up. A, a top five um, Premier League goalkeeper. Uh, and Aspen Laqueta is uh, a, a top performer, but isn't getting as, as, as much minutes. Um, so, Harsha, help us unpack uh, your sense of where Chelsea is. I think um, we're seeing probably the limitations of Lampard as a coach or a manager mm-hmm. because he came into this job with with just a year's experience at Derby County. And that's not, I think that's nowhere near enough preparation to manage a club like Chelsea. It's its honestly a very similar situation uh, to Man United with United op- op- uh, appointing Solskjaer. He had had experience at the Premier League, but that was with Cardiff City who got relegated under his watch. And he'd otherwise managed in Norway and he did win titles, but I mean, that's a no- the Norwegian league is obviously a much uh it's it's a much uh, I wouldn't say easier, but the challenge is much bigger in the Premier League, especially if you're at Man United. And it's a similar thing with Chelsea, where they've gone for a, for a club legend. But I genuinely don't think he's the man for the job long term. He's done a great job in terms of stabilizing the club after Mauricio Sari. Although I mean, I will always argue that Sari was wrongly terminated. I thought he should have been given more time. And he did really well. He got them the Champions League and he won the Europa League during his time at, at Chelsea, but he was still fired. But that's a topic for another day. Lampard, uh, I think some of the tactical decisions he's made have been slightly baffling to me. For example, in the Chelsea game, he set out uh, 
a lineup which would have been good at playing on the counter and that's what you would expect them to have done against city but they ended up trying to press high and uh, you know dominate possession which made no sense to me and it didn't play to the strengths of the players he had on the pitch where i mean timo werner for example is someone who does well in transition in in when the game when he has fast breaks or fast attacks to play with he's not going to be the guy who's going to hold up the ball for you and be able to you know hold off a defender or, or win duels in the air and stuff like that and not that chelsea went direct to him but they, he was being asked to play a role which is completely alien to him in golo kante i mean i think he's been used incorrectly because he is someone who's going to go after the ball he's not going to sit and anchor the defense and in in the 433 that lampard plays he plays as the deepest midfielder but because he goes after the ball it leaves space in front of the defense for for opposition teams to exploit so those are just two of the things i mean there's a lot more that i he i think lampard hasn't done correctly or in my opinion there are things that he needs to change callum hudson odoi should probably be playing a lot more than he has as you pointed out uh so there's quite a few things which i think he's not really got right yet and it and let's see whether he can get those things right in the future because to be honest Roman Abramovich is known for his patience and they backed him they uh, the the Chelsea hierarchy backed Lampard massively in the summer with the spending that they did so i mean I, I, you would think that he would need to at least i mean i think top 4 is the bare minimum that he needs to achieve to keep to stay in a job for next year at Chelsea so let's see if that pans out but at the moment i genu- i don't think they're going to make top 4 i i uh, i don't think they're going to do that trey do you have a any take on who that who should be up and uh, up up top and in the key midfield positions um well first chris i'm going to say we got to start letting harshal go before me he takes all my points <laughs> <laughs> but uh no um, i i think when you with the way the team has looked recently the struggles that they've had i mean this is for me the city game is the second game in a row i didn't catch the villa game but it's the second game in a row them and arsenal where i felt chelsea just looked clueless they didn't look like they really had any clear idea of what they wanted to do uh going forward um for me i i want jerud up front he's the most experienced he's been scoring he's been in good form um and i think he's just going to kind of help settle everything down i think right now when you look at the the chelsea squad there's lots of talent in there but i think at the moment you just need the most experienced players to kind of just lock it down or maybe you know you go the the route that that arteta went with arsenal for a little bit and play a bunch of the young guys but i think he's got to kind of pick one and stick to it but then again uh i agree completely that i think it's just his his inexperience his combined with the players inexperience i think is what's creating the issue i think when you don't have a manager who's able to deal with the inexperience of the players and by that i mean the guys like werner um havertz Pulisic guys are, I mean they're obviously they're they're great players but they're you know still coming along in 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 terms of the Premier League uh landscape I think without having a manager who's accustomed to that and able to really take care of them and make sure that they're fully understanding what they're up against it it'll be a little bit tough for them so um I expect Chelsea to keep climbing just based off their you know their individual talent and whatnot I I imagine that they'll make it somewhere in the top 6 area but it'll be tough for them against the the better teams for sure. Well, let's turn our attention to to West Ham. You know, West Ham is uh they're in the 10th position and you know their their defense I think has really been w- well anchored by uh Masuaku uh who is ranked number 1 in the Premier League in terms of successful defensive actions. Um and i'm sorry in terms of attacking um actions 5.35 um for defenders um while as yet uh from a defensive perspective uh they seem to to manage well uh, in terms of as a unit um no particular standouts defensively and as far as their attacking has gone they've had some injuries uh and so benarama and antonio um we just haven't seen as much of them as 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 we'd like to will they be able to address that harshell going forward uh cuz I, i see a well constructed team i just don't see that ability in which to to finish uh, there are a couple games they just weren't able to get over the top or close out 
Um, I'd say the jury's still out in terms of whether they'll be able to cope with that, as you said. But I think Moyes has already, David Moyes has already done a good job in terms of coping with the absence of Masuaku. With when Masuaku was fit towards, I mean, and uh, up until the last, let's say, three weeks or so, from the start of the season up until then, they were playing a back five with Masuaku as a left wing back and uh, Cresswell, who is a left back, playing as the left centre half. And that system worked really well for them. But since Masuaku got injured, Moyes has been forced to go back to a back four with Cresswell playing at left back. Although I think he did play uh, back five again a couple of weeks ago with a uh, kid from the youth academy, Ben Johnson, playing at left wing back. So, I mean, I don't know if he'll keep that uh, sort of shape going forward and play Johnson at left wing back. But as you, you know, it, 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 I agree, they're a very well drilled team. They're, they're very different to what they were last season, where they escaped relegation by. A, a bit of a whisker and they were not really good last season but I think this season they've uh, come on a lot better they're, they're putting together better performances on the pitch they look more determined they look they look better coached I'd say in terms of their defensive shape in terms of even the counter-attacks that they're able, they've been able to mount and the goals that they've been able to score they look a much better outfit I've been very impressed with the with the midfield with which is Declan Rice and Thomas Suchek. Rice has come on leaps and bounds. I mean, I'll be the first one to admit that I've had major doubts about Rice ever since he's been sort of been hyped up as this next big, great young English kid. I'm not saying, and I, I'm, I'm still not fully convinced that he is absolutely wonderful and he's going to change sort of the way England play and, and you know, be the next big English uh, hope. But he is very good especially this season, he's done his job really well, protecting defence and then being able to retain possession, but also when needed, being able to go up and join the attack. And Suchek, who was signed in January last year, has been a revelation. He scored, I believe, um, eight goals, no, five goals in the league this season already and from midfield. And he's getting, he's become that sort of, he's very similar to Marwan Fellaini, who was a uh, sort of talismanic player for, for Moyes at uh, Everton. And he also obviously brought Moyes to Man United. Uh, sorry, he brought Fellaini to Man United. Uh, and, and it's a very similar profile in terms of the size, in terms of aerial ability and both and, and the sort of box-to-box ability that uh, Suchek has. Obviously, in his own defensive third, being able to uh, sort of, you know, protect his own area, but at the same time, make runs into the box and score. And we saw that... Uh, in the in the most recent Premier League game that West Ham played, where they clinched that win over Everton, it was Suchek who got on into the box and scored from Cresswell's cross. You know, he had the anticipation to make that run and and get on the end of the finish. No, none of the other West Ham players did that. So, yeah, as I said, well drilled, well coached team, some very good uh, individual players. It'll be interesting to see if they go into the window in January because I think they're looking for a striker now that they've sold Sebastian Alley to to Ajax. So. Because, I mean, Mikel Antonio is very injury-prone and uh, they do need someone who can come in and play with him and also replace him when he's injured. So, let's see if they bring someone in. But other than that, I think they've done really well. Maybe contenders for Europa, but even if that's not the case, just even if they finish 10th, I think it's a huge improvement on last season. Ray, uh, you know, my, my sense is they're probably going to finish around 13th or so, plus or minus. In terms of upcoming games, any any thoughts about um, West Ham uh, in general? Yeah, I mean, I think the overall trend for them is they've been finding ways to beat teams that are below them and they've lost teams above them. So, I mean, coming up, they've got Burnley, a struggling West Brom, Crystal Palace, uh, and then they finished the month out with Liverpool. So, I mean, I anticipate, though, that's 12 possible points. I'm sure they can get, you know, between 7 and, and 10 points out of, out of those fixtures and just kind of keep moving along where they are. Um, see news about them potentially selling Felipe Anderson, which will bring in a good amount of money for them in terms of potentially getting another striker to replace Halle, who they just sold. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're right where they should be, and, and they're probably going to stay about in that range, plus or minus maybe two spots. Well, let's turn our attention to the next team, which is near and dear to Dre's heart, which is Arsenal. Uh, I guess uh, after... Uh, pretty dark beginning there uh things seem to be turning up a bit do you buy that story what what are some what are some little niches we should be looking at in the arsenal story 
yeah, I, I buy it a hundred percent. I think obviously it's hard to discredit the difference that Emil Smith Rowe has, has, has made into the team. Um, you know, it's what everyone's been saying in terms of creativity, linking the midfield with the attack. Uh, you know, getting guys involved, and he's he's done that quite well. So it's it's been positive with the recent results and. Obviously, you don't want to get too ahead too ahead of yourself. I mean, they're still in the bottom half of the table, but you know, with 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 Palace coming up, Newcastle, a little bit of a tougher test with Southampton. You'd you'd expect based on their recent run of form that they'd be able to get some results and kind of keep keep inching up the table a little bit. So yeah, I mean, it's it, it's been fun to watch. They've been scoring some tremendous goals. It's not just the fact that they've been winning the games, but the goals they've scored are, are you know, in my opinion, brilliant team goals and. They've looked, they've looked really strong, so hopefully they just continue. I don't think many people question their prospects uh, in the next couple of years or so. It's going to be interesting to see if Lacassette continues to find his mojo, but more importantly, getting Aubameyang going um, and seeing if Pepe and Willian can at least start to, to contribute um, kind of – league averages right that that to me would 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 be nice to see from a defending perspective i i'd love to see more and more from maitland niles you know he he does rate very highly in terms of successful defensive actions per 90 uh it's and and really watching um kieran tierney in terms of what he can do in terms of um attacking play and initiating attacks has just been a real relevant revelation Harshell, do uh, do you think it's justifiable for Arsenal fans to be optimistic, and should they at least be contending for Europa in the next few weeks? Kind of getting back more into those slots. Yeah, definitely. Because again, we spoke about the table being tight. They're just six points off the top four, mm-hmm. so it's I mean, it's a couple of games, maybe three, four games going their way, and they could be back in the in the conversation for top four when. Maybe a month ago, people were, especially on social media, people were making a case for them being relegated. So, I mean, that just tells you how tight the league has been this season, as well as the fact that while, I mean, there's no doubt that it was a crisis, the fact that they went five, six games without a win in the Premier League, um, it wasn't as bad as it was made out to be. And the solutions were sort of staring Arteta in the face, you know, as we spoke about earlier, play the kids. And Smithrow has been an absolute revelation blinking midfield and attack, as Ray said, which was something they'd been lacking so much where, I mean, there were games I remember watching where it was a literal hole that you would see between the Arsenal midfield line and the attack because nobody was dropping deep to pick up the ball or nobody from was in that sort of position naturally. And I spoke about this, I think, on last week's podcast where I think, where I said that Lacazette does well because in terms of the way he's playing, where he's dropping deep because he's got quick rapid runners around him, which he has now, you know, with Smithrow, with uh, Saka playing on the right and with Martinelli playing on the left. He's got those guys who he can, and he knows that, you know, if he drops deep, those guys will take up the space that he's vacated and potentially then be able to run through on goal. So, like I said, obviously, this has been, you know, great run of form, scored five goals in the last four games. Martinelli, I he did pick up an injury in the FA Cup game and I think it could be another semi-serious one. He could be out for a bit. So, um, let's see what the news is on that front. But I expect Smithrow to probably play the majority of minutes from now on. Aubameyang will probably come in and play on the left most games. Although I think I honestly would have made the case for Martinelli, uh, Smithrow, Saka and Lacazette to be Arsenal's four-man attack and Pepe and, La- and Aubameyang to be used as rotation or uh, sort of, you know, um, to, to, to freshen things up. But let's see how it goes in that respect. And uh, yeah, I, as I said, play the. Uh, I think playing the kids is a good idea at the moment, backed up by the experience that some of the guys have. Arsenal do need to get rid of quite a few players because they're taking up a lot of space in terms of uh, wage bill. Obviously, the big sort of elephant in the room is Mesut Ozil and rumours are that he's off to Turkey this month, which if true is a sad ending to his family career. But I mean, I think that's the writing's been on the wall for a while with that um that particular case but there are a couple of others you know socrates uh maybe uh there there were rumors about bellerin in the summer i don't think anything will happen in january but i i expect to see quite a lot of movement 
outgoing movement if not in this window then definitely in the summer as well coming back to their prospects for this season yeah as i said six points to top four definitely i think in europa league cont- contention and it just needs a few results to go their way and they could be back in the top four conversation as well super well we have some other teams we're, we're going to um deep dive on uh, in the next podcast but we wanted to wrap up this podcast by doing a few previews including the Leicester Southampton game. Harshal, what are some key points we need to be looking at or key matchups in that match? Um this is going to be a team I uh, not a team I mean this is going to be a game between two pretty I wouldn't say evenly matched teams but two teams who there is a potential I think this has the potential to be a draw because it's it's one of those where in in a good way the the fact that both these teams i think are doing a much better than the sum of their parts especially southampton i mean you wouldn't think southampton do have some very good players but i think it's the collective and the way they play and the tactics and the system that hasan utel has imposed that is led them to be pretty good this season and it's a similar case for leicester although i think obviously leicester have man for man probably better players so that sort of i mean it's uh, what i'm i'm basically going to be looking out to see if leicester can maybe be a bit more attacking in terms of creativity as i spoke about earlier i think they are struggling a little bit with creating too many clear cut chances it's a case of them being efficient and taking the chances that they do create but i mean if you look at football in general the the, the rate at which they're going is a little bit unsustainable in terms of the the their conversion rate so that could be a problem for them unless they start to create more sort of high quality chances give me a southampton it's basically what i said earlier where um maybe a one all yeah i'm going to go for a one all draw trey what's your thoughts i think i think it'll be an exciting game uh but i think it'll be no no i think they'll neutralize each other i'm inclined to go with a 1-1 or 2-2 are the two possible outcomes um that i that i see um i don't have anything particular new i i just think that Barnes, Madison, uh Dumbele, uh those are going to be kind of the X factors uh to see if they can get Vardy freed up um for a goal or two. Um let's turn our attention to the Liverpool Man United uh matchup uh which I think everyone is very excited to see uh um unless you're a Chelsea or or a uh uh a Man City fan. Dre how are you going to unpack this game? Are there any what are some key matchups you're going to look for? I think it's just going to come down to the middle of the field really and as well as I mean we spoke about Manu's defense um obviously Liverpool's front three is is phenomenal it's one of the best in the world so I I think I think the midfield battle um will be important just in terms of who who wins that who dominates possession of the ball it'll probably end up being Liverpool I think uh Manu will probably play a little bit more on the counter and um I don't know it, it's it's a tough one to call uh I would like the game to tie. I would like it to tie, but <laughs> I think I I think maybe I'll, I'll say I'll say Liverpool 2-1. Harshal? Yeah, it's it's obviously going to be a tough one. Liverpool's record at Anfield is spectacular. I think they haven't lost there since 2017 February if I'm not mistaken. It's about north of 50 games. I don't remember the exact number, but it's north of 50 games since they've lost the league game at Anfield, so I mean I would absolutely love it obviously if United were the one to break that streak at Anfield but I will agree with Dre that it will come down to midfield and I think Thiago will play a huge role I think he will start he got 90 minutes under his belt against Southampton he played 45 minutes in the FA Cup against the Aston Villa academy basically so he has been able to get up to speed at least in terms of his physical outputs and it's thiago is the kind of guy who can create something out of nothing and it will be very difficult to defend against something you know uh, against that sort of uh influence that he can have on game so let's see let's see how it goes but i obviously i hope for a 2-1 united win but realistically i think it might be a draw it might be a one all or liverpool could probably win it but yeah the heart hopefully uh hopes for uh, a united win I wish I could be original but I I think it's 2-1 Liverpool or I could even go as far as to say 3-1. Uh so we'll we'll get we'll see see what happens there. Uh it's going to be 
I hope it, it's not one of those games where both of the the teams neutralize themselves. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll keep our fingers crossed on that. So, well, that's where we'll leave the pod for this week. We're sponsored by the Premier League Guide, Moneyball for Football, Opposition Analysis Plus Eye Candy. The current update is available at www.thinkingfanmedia.com and on Amazon. Please subscribe to Thinking Fan Football Club on YouTube and your favorite podcast stations. Join us for our next Football Thinking Fans podcast. For now, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao, ciao.